Well, as we make our way back to our seats this morning, you know, this past week, um, we were gathering in our real communities, and that's groups that meet in homes in four different communities here in our area. Uh, we'd love for you all to connect in one of them. This past week, my group, the Montclair neighborhood, we went out on a prayer walk, as the other groups did as well. And we went up in groups of five or six or so and went throughout our neighborhood just praying for the community, praying for needs that we're seeing. And as our group was walking around Bell Park, we saw these two men. And uh, we stopped and asked them, hey, can we pray for you? And uh, the first response was, no, uh, don't, don't pray for us. We're good. There's nothing, nothing we need prayer for. And then one guy, he said to me, he said, you know what? Pray that people put down their guns. You know, there's a lot of violence going on. I said, man, that's, that's good. I'll be praying for that. I'll pray for that. Um, and I said, you know, with all this loss of life, have you thought about what happened to us and to you after you died? And uh, both of them kind of said, no, no, not, not, no, we haven't thought about that. I said, well, that's in large part why we're out here walking around the neighborhood praying for people and praying for our community. See, we understand that God is a real God who's holy. He's perfect. And we are not. I'm not a perfect guy. And ask them, are you perfect? Have you ever done anything wrong? They're like, yeah, I've done, I've done things wrong. I said, you know, could we who are imperfect be with a God who is perfect forever? That wouldn't be right. Darkness can't be with light. I said, but you know what we're out here is to tell you that God sent his son Jesus to die for us and pay the punishment that we deserved. And so when we put our faith in him, we can be forgiven and have eternal life with God. And he's looking at me like, hey, I'm just out here having a drink, man. And I said, you know, that's what we want to be about. That's what we were here for. And I asked them if I could pray for them, and we did pray together. And I could tell at that point, they're like, all right, appreciate what you're saying. There's one guy I could tell, God was doing something in his mind. He was moving. I said, hey, we're part of this church right here. This is what we're about. When you're searching, man, this is where we want you to come. And uh, they're real warm. It was good. We prayed together and continued on our prayer walk. And it was really cool because I was talking with them. I was the only man in my group. And the lady said, hey, we're praying for you as you were talking to him. And it's reminding you of the power of prayer. But I was also reminded of two other things as I taught with these guys. How blind we can be is the first one. Um, and how important it is to know who Jesus really is. You see, these guys said, you know, we're good. We don't, there's nothing I need you to pray for me. But I know if they're like me, that there are things on our minds and our hearts that burden us. And I also know that there's things in their lives that they don't see very clearly because Satan has clouded their vision, and they don't see how badly they need Jesus. But as the truth of God's word was going to them, I could see something going on, at least in one of their minds, where they're like, man, there's, there's some truth to that. You see, because the identity of Jesus changes everything. If he's a regular old person off the street, there is no hope that's found in Jesus. But the Bible says that Jesus is something far greater than a regular old person. As valuable as we are made in God's image, he is God himself. And though we are born spiritually blind, God can open our eyes to see that Jesus is the one our hearts are longing for. Jesus is the one these two men need more than anything. But so long as their eyes are blinded, they won't see that. And my heart was going out for them. I was battling, just, just saddened by that. And as I think about our passage for this morning as we open our Bibles, you know, all of us are born spiritually blind. We're born spiritually blind. We can't see clearly. We're out of focus from the start. And I know there's some here today who might be struggling with unbelief because your vision has gotten clouded. 
Then you got a smudge on your contact lens, and you're seeing all of life through that smudge, and it's difficult for you. Maybe it's how people devalue Christianity in our society. Uh, maybe it's how people question the sincerity of the church or the reliability of the Bible. And, and these things are starting to smudge your vision somewhat. Or maybe you're a junior high or a high schooler and your biology teacher keeps talking about evolutionary theory as if it's evolutionary fact. And it's making you second guess the truths of Christianity. Maybe it's a classmate who denies the resurrection. Maybe it's people who are saying, what are you doing with this Christianity stuff? And it's, it's causing you to become discouraged and it's causing you to cloud your vision. And maybe you're here today, you're a flat out skeptic and you know it and Man, we're glad you're here. I'll be 100% honest. We're so glad you're here. Because maybe you've just grown up and just seen Christianity be like, I don't know about that. I don't need religion in my life. Maybe you're here as a shot in the dark, a last-second hope, a ditch effort. And God's here to arrest your soul today and to take that blurred vision that you've been seeing all of life through and clarify that thing. I remember as a kid, uh, I was in second grade when I realized I needed glasses. I was sitting in the classroom, and I'd, I'd be squinting, trying to see the board, and oftentimes I'd get headaches, and I'd be tired, and the teacher's like, you know, Eric's not connecting well. And we went to an eye doctor and realized, you know, I, I, was, I was nearsighted. So I went to the eye doctor and got my first pair of glasses in second grade and went back to school and saw everything clearly. It was a game changer. It made a difference. No more headache pain. No more lost sight, no more discouragement with school. I saw life as I should have seen it. And you know, when we have vision that is blurred, we need God to come and give us clear vision. So he makes sense of our pain, makes sense of life's discouragements, and ultimately helps us see the hope that's in him through Jesus. And so today, I want you to be done with your squinting. I want you to be done with those headaches I want you to see with clarity that Jesus is the one your heart is longing for. We're going to find ourselves in the book of Mark today, chapter 8. There are Bibles in front of you. They're yours if you don't own one. You can have it. It's our gift to you here at the brook. The Bible helps us see God for who he is, to savor him and to celebrate him for all his beauty. And we want you to have it. We're going to see an account today of a blind man in the Bible a man who couldn't see, a man who is much like you and I are, spiritually speaking, from birth. And we're going to see how this man becomes an illustration of humanity, but also a a demonstration of God's grace. We find ourselves in the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 22. In the pew Bibles in front of you, what page is that on? 844. There's a shortcut for you. 844. And just so you know how to navigate the Bible, there is a table of contents in the front of the Bible like there is in any book. And you can find the books of the Bible there and turn over there to it. Book of Mark, page 844 in your pew Bibles, chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 22 through 26 to get the passage in front of us. It's what God's word tells us. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? Can you you repeat that after me? Do you see anything? 
And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. It's a wild story how Jesus is confronted with this man who's blind. And the family, his friends, people bring him to to Jesus. They bring him to Jesus and beg Jesus to help him with him, his eyesight. This man was neither farsighted nor nearsighted. He was no-sighted. And that's what we are from the day we're born, no-sighted. We don't see God. We don't see his beauty. We don't see faith. And we struggle. And here this man is here as an illustration of our very lives asking Jesus to open his eyes. I love how some people brought him to Jesus. Some people brought him to Jesus. The man couldn't walk there on his own. He needed someone to take him there. And you know, when we're blind, we don't know where to go. Jesus says in Matthew that oftentimes we are like the blind leading the blind and falling into pits. But if Jesus has saved you, if you put your faith in Jesus, if you recognize that his death on the cross was for you and that you're forgiven and that God's wrath that was directed toward you is now satisfied and you don't have to take that anymore because Jesus took it for you, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you no longer are blind. You have vision. You can see, which means you can take someone by the hand. If you can see, then you can lead. And these people took this blind man to Jesus, the one that he needed in order to see clearly. Sometimes we're afraid to take people by the hand and point them to Jesus because we think about our own failures and our own shortcomings and all the ways that we think we can't do it. I can't tell people about Jesus. I don't know what to say. Well, say what he did for you. Tell people how he forgave you. Tell people how he died on the cross for you. Tell people how he rose from the dead for you. Just tell them what he's done for you. Don't let the fear of your own failures, your past, your own inadequacies prevent you from leading someone who is spiritually blind to the one who can give them sight. And that's what these people did. These friends loved him enough to do it. And here Jesus receives this man in. You know, when I think about this, I think of parenting. It's a lot like this. Our children don't know how to find the Lord. They don't know how to to grow in their faith. We need to help them along, especially when they're younger, but even when they're older. If you're a parent today, maybe a grandparent, maybe an aunt or uncle, I just encourage you, if you see, then lead. Even the littlest of people, because they too can understand God's grace. And I love how the people here begged Jesus in verse 22. It's not the first time Jesus was begged. He was begged in chapter 5 by a man who had demonic spirits within him. He was begged by Jairus, whose daughter was sick. He was begged by different people, and Jesus never turns away someone who comes and humbles himself before him. Never. But the problem is it's pride that prevents us from coming to him. It's pride that prevents us from seeing that we're spiritually blind so often. Maybe it's success in the, build, in the business. Maybe you're a DIY kind of person. Maybe you are attractive or a magnetic personality and you lean on those things 
to find your identity and the pride that you have in those things prevents you from seeing that you really are all messed up and need Jesus. And Jesus never turns away, though, someone who humbles himself before him. And here these people bring the blind man by the hand and they're begging Jesus, Jesus, help this man out. He can't see. He's blind. They humble themselves. Remember this, self-reliance is God-defiance. Self-reliance is God-defiance. When we rely on ourselves, we're defying God. We're saying, God, I don't need you. God calls us to humble ourselves before him. Now, what's interesting in this story, Jesus spits on his eyes, which is all not that unique. He does that in chapter 7 with a man. And just think about it. A blind man who can't see who's there would value that physical touch the spit, the hands and the eyes. And what Jesus is doing is meeting this man in his own fears and lack of faith. And he's there and he touches him. What I find so remarkable, and I don't know if this caught your eye, Jesus asked the man in verse 23, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. The man is saying, yeah, I see more than I saw previously, but I don't see clearly just yet. I'm still a little blinded here. Everything's a blur. There are figures, but they could be as trees where they could be people. I don't know the difference. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again in verse 25, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Now, if you're like me, I'm like, what's going on there? Like, Jesus, was that like, did you meet your match with that? Because I see in chapter 2, you raised... You gave a, a guy who's paralyzed the ability to walk. You raised a girl from the dead in chapter 5. You calm storms. And the blind man, is this, is this too hard for you, Jesus? Did you meet your match? Were you having a bad day? You only have some of the spirit today, not all the spirit? And really the questions show my own blindness. Because what God is doing, he's working in and through this scenario, using this man's predicament as an illustration for all of us. And the disciples in particular. See, in the previous verses, we saw last week that Jesus' own disciples were having a hard time figuring him out. They're like, we don't know who this guy is. We thought we knew who he was. But now, you know, we thought he's here to save the Jewish people. But now he's with non-Jewish people. We thought we understood what he was about. We're confused. We're seeing blurry. We don't see quite clearly. We get a sense of who he is. And you know, some of us are life a lot like that in our lives. Maybe we're not flat out blinded to the realities of Jesus. Maybe you've heard of Jesus before. Maybe you even believe some things about Jesus. But if it's not truly who he is and what he's done and how it changes you, you see trees, but not quite clearly just yet. But Jesus finishes the work he starts, and he gives sight to the blind man. The point of this story is not that Jesus wasn't capable of healing this man on the first try. The point of this story is that Jesus is showing the disciples' own progression of seeing Jesus for who he is and oftentimes our own progression. We might not understand who he is right away, but God is unveiling himself to us, calling us to put our faith in Jesus. Jesus tells the man not to tell anybody or to not to go back in the village because people are going to be like, hey, we saw you leave the village with Jesus blind and now you're coming back seeing. We want to go find Jesus and Jesus is not trying to draw a crowd. 
He was never impressed by the crowds because he wants faith, not just fame. He wants faith. We see here in verse 27, the story picks up. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. That's 25 miles north of where he was just at. He's going on a long walk with his disciples to get some alone time with him. As a side note, maybe that's what you need to do to get some alone time with Jesus. Let's go on a long walk and just pray. Get away from the phone. Get away from the busyness. And on the way, verse 27, he asked his disciples a very important question. Who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? What I love about Jesus is that he specializes in asking questions. I was counting. In this chapter alone, Jesus asks 14 questions in Mark chapter 8 alone. Now, this is rare. In Jesus' day, he's a rabbi, which means he's a teacher. And teachers have students, and the students are known to ask the teacher questions. It's not for the teacher, per se, to ask the student questions. But Jesus is no ordinary teacher. Questions help us draw out truth. And as you walk with people in life, just know that asking a question is sometimes better than just giving an answer. This past week, uh, my daughter has been asking a lot of questions about the faith, and I love it. She's now nine years old. But she's asking hard questions like, why did God make Satan? I'm like, sweetie, mommy's downstairs. You can go down here and ask her that one. (laughs) Why did God let Adam and Eve sin? Why did God let their sin be so bad? Why did God let the world become what it is today? Those are questions. And I could have said, well, sweet, this is what I think the answer is. But the first time she asks me, why did God let Adam and Eve sin, give them the opportunity, even the choice to sin, I just said, if God made us so that we had no choice but to love him, would that truly be love? Reply with a question. And she said, no, I don't think so, because you can't choose to not love him. And so sometimes it's a question helps draw out the truth here. And what Jesus is doing here, he goes to his disciples and says, who do people say that I am? But Jesus knows the answer to that. And he couldn't say, hey, guys, I've overheard people saying that I'm this, this, or that. But he asks the disciples. Because what Jesus does, he invites them into the investigation to his identity here. He gives them a safe place to say, hey, who is this guy? What is what other people are saying? And, you know, some of you need to understand this is a safe place for you to investigate that question. And you need to know that your friends tell them this is a safe place to investigate that question. Who is Jesus? Who do people say that he is? Because as you go around the world and our culture, you're going to get a lot of different ideas. Just take the world religions, for instance. Islam acknowledges Jesus had a virgin birth. They acknowledge Jesus was a prophet, a great teacher, but they deny the fact that he died on the cross. They denied his resurrection from the dead. They deny that he is God in human flesh. But they got an opinion about Jesus, and it's mostly favorable. Who do people say that I am? The Jews, even in the first, second, and third centuries, acknowledged that Jesus was very well known. And it was hard for them to say a lot of bad things about him initially. But of course, they don't believe he's the one who saved them. In Hinduism, Jesus is a holy man, a wise teacher. He's even divine 
But he's not the one only true God and the only way to the Father. Buddhism teaches that Jesus was the enlightened, an, an enlightened man, but they don't understand him to be God. See, the world religions have an idea about who Jesus is as Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? What's interesting is a man by the name of Jim Wallace, who used to be an atheist, began to investigate the claims of Christianity and at 35 years old put his faith in Jesus for the first time. And as he researched, he said all the world's major religions feel compelled to account for Jesus in one way or another. Isn't that interesting? They feel an obligation to make a decision about Jesus because you can't deny him. Our culture can't deny him. You go around and you ask people in your school, just try it this week. Maybe you're in third period lunch or fourth period lunch. Maybe go at work during the lunch break. Ask people, hey, what do you think about Jesus? It's like a lightning rod sometimes. I remember once I went on the streets, was doing an interview for school back in my college days, and I interviewed 10 people on the street with questions. The first question is, what do you believe about Jesus? And most people would just say, oh, I believe da-da-da-da. I had one guy, the minute I asked the question, started yelling at me. Oh, you Christians, da da And I'm like, man, lightning rod. You're going to see people just become angry at the name of Jesus. But I think in our society, what you're going to hear is, he's a good teacher. He's a revolutionary. He was a miracle maker. He was a, a prophet. He was a good person. He was the perfect example of what we should live our lives like. He was sacrificial, self-giving. You're going to hear all these kinds of things because everyone's got an opinion about Jesus. In verse 28, the disciples told him, well, some people think he's John the Baptist, which is interesting because in chapter 6, John the Baptist was killed. Others say Elijah, and others say you are one of the prophets. People were trying to figure out, even in Jesus' day, who he was. And what I find so remarkable is the three answers the disciples give are all people who are dead. John the Baptist was dead, Elijah was dead, and the prophets, the prophets, not a prophet, but the prophet with an article implying an Old Testament prophet. And basically they're looking at Jesus saying, there's something different about him. We can't quite put our finger on it. There's something maybe even supernatural about what's going on here. And people had ideas about Jesus as they do in our own day. And they can't deny the fact that Jesus did many great things, that he taught many great things, that he was a historical figure who's well known. And so the disciples tell Jesus this very thing. As you explore the Christian faith, if you're one who's trying to figure it out, man, we encourage you to explore, to investigate the claims of Christianity. Investigate Jesus' own claims of who he was and what he did by dying and raising from the dead. For 2,000 years, people have been trying to disprove his resurrection, and none have been successful. As you explore and investigate our hope and prayers, you would come to the same conclusions that many of us today have, the same conclusions even Peter came to. You see, in verse 29, Jesus turns the question on them. At first, he gave them this open-ended, hey, what do you think about this? What are other people saying? It's a safe environment to investigate. But now Jesus personalizes with a change of one word. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? 
You see, Christianity is a faith that requires a personal response. It is not enough to say others think these different things about Jesus, but you've got to say, this is what I have concluded. Jesus demands a response from his disciples here. And sometimes we get a little standoffish by that. We're like, hey, we don't want to corner people in, but we've got to ask people, what do you believe? There's two men at Bell Park I said, what do you believe about Jesus? And that's what like, hey, we're just here to have a drink. And they had their cups with them, like, you know, big gulps kind of thing. Because they, they were a little standoffish. But you have to ask the question in order to provoke a response. And, of course, we need the Lord's wisdom on how to do that and when to do that. But ultimately, in order to share the hope of Jesus, we've got to call people to respond And Jesus personalizes the question. And the first word, but, who do you say that I am? The word but is a contrast. Okay, it's cool what others think. It's cool what's going on in society. It's cool the popular opinion. But what do you think? So my question for you today is what do you think? Who do you believe that Jesus is? Who do you believe that Jesus is? And what I love is how Peter speaks up for the disciples, and he says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. The word Christ is a word that goes back to the Hebrew language, meaning anointed one, the one who's set apart. See, what Peter is affirming is that Jesus is the one that all of God's people have been hoping for, longing for, waiting for to restore and redeem them from their enslavement to Roman oppression. But Peter's only got half the idea right. Because yes, Jesus is the Christ, but not the way Peter is defining it. See, Jesus is aware of that. See, Jesus is the one who's the better Adam. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and Adam sinned against God and sin entered the world, Jesus is the son of God who didn't sin. He's a hoped-for Messiah, the deliverer, the one who could redeem God's people from their bondage to sin. Jesus is that offspring of Eve who would crush Satan's head. Jesus is the one who is better than Moses, who would truly lead God's people to the promised land. Jesus is one who's better than David, who was the great king of Israel, but Jesus is the great king of kings who reigns forever on God's throne. Jesus is a true servant, the one who suffered to redeem God's people, to save them from their sins. He's the true life who rose from the dead to give eternal life. Peter said, you are the Christ, but Peter doesn't get it. Jesus is the Christ because he's the one who will deliver God's people from their sins. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is God in human flesh. They understood it eventually because Jesus spoke it. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am that I am. Jesus is God, church. And so when Peter says, you are the Christ, That word is packed with far more than Peter himself understood at that moment. But you see it because the vision has been clarified for you. 
If you're here today and say, yes, that's the Jesus I worship. That's the Jesus I believe in, the one who died for me and rose for me and saved me. You're no longer blind. And it's your job to lead. See, the disciples had seen blurry beforehand. They they didn't see Jesus for who he was. They're wondering where their bread is going to come from when Jesus just fed 4,000 people with a few loaves of bread. It was blurry, but God is making it clearly just like the blind man in the preceding verses. He didn't see well at first, but eventually saw clearly. And God wants to bring you clarity in your own vision. See, when we're confronted by Jesus, it provokes a response. I love those words we sang. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. See, when we're confronted and gripped and arrested by Jesus, he compels us to live for him. He compels us to love him. He compels us to lay our lives down for him. And we don't do it begrudgingly because we know we've been redeemed. Jesus is the Christ. But that's a decision and a faith you've got to do and make. It's not okay to say, well, this is what they say. This is what Pastor Eric says. But who do you say that Jesus is? It's a man by the name of Lee Strobel who got a journalism degree from the University of Missouri and then a law degree from Yale uh, University Law School. He became a reporter, investigator for the Chicago Tribune for 14 years, won many awards. But one day his life was rocked when his wife came home and said she became a Christian. Lee Strobel was not a follower of Jesus, didn't believe. And he set it out his aim with his investigative skills and his law understanding to investigate the claims of Christianity to see if it's indeed true. In some ways, perhaps, even to hope to disprove it and show his wife wrong. Lee Strobel went around to theologians and scholars and apologists, which means they're defenders of the Christian faith, to investigate the the Bible's claims to Jesus' identity, his resurrection, the reliability of the Bible. And for two years, he went to over a dozen scholars asking different questions about the Christian faith. And after two years of investigating, Lee Strobel put his faith in Jesus Christ, wrote the book, The Case for Christ. You see, when we look to Jesus and explore his claims, we will make the same conclusions Peter made. You are the Christ. He's the Son of God. We want you to explore. We want you to ask. But our prayer is that your vision would be clarified. And all the headaches of life, the frustrations of not seeing clearly, the disappointments and discouragements, that all that would be seen now through the lens of Jesus and the hope that comes through him. In the 19th century, America saw one of its greatest songwriters in the Christian scene. Her name is Fanny Crosby. She wrote over 8,000 Songs of praise. Isn't that crazy? Over 8,000. What's even more remarkable was at six years old, she had a problem with her eyes, and they did a procedure to heal her, and it didn't work, and it went wrong, and she was blind from that moment on. At six months old. Fanny Crosby wrote 8,000 songs of praise blind, physically. Well, she says this. And eight years old, she wrote her first song. 
Oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. As a little girl, she put her faith in Jesus. And although her vision physically was blinded, her vision spiritually was 20-20. She saw God clearly. Someone asked her, Fanny, do you wish you had not been blinded? And she replied in her typical style. She says, well, the good thing about being blind is that the very first face I'll see will be the face of Jesus. From birth, we're born blind spiritually. And we just can't see. We can't see how amazing our God is. We just can't see his love and his mercy. And we're like the disciples trying to figure it out. And we're like, man, I don't know what's going on. But God's a merciful God because he put his hands in the blind man. He touched him. And he let him see clearly. That's what God's grace does for us. You see, from birth, our sin has separated us from God. But God has come down as a man to give us sight in the midst of our blindness. And that's what Jesus did. When he died on the cross, he took the punishment you deserved. So you don't have to face God's wrath. At the cross, he satisfied it. He offers forgiveness. He offers eternal life when you put your faith in it because he did not stay dead. That's your hope today. You see. And praise be to God, now then lead people there. And maybe right now, the blur for you is coming into focus. So we conclude our sermon here in a few moments. We're going to have a prayer team come to the front and to the back. God is clarifying your vision. And he said, I want to see Jesus. I want to know him like you talk about him. Our prayer team is here. They want to pray with you. They want to point you to him. They want to love on you in that way. Because Jesus gives sight to our blindness. One of my favorite songs that Fanny Crosby wrote is titled, To God Be the Glory. This is what the words say. And this is your prayer. I pray you would pray it in your heart. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life in atonement for sin, And open the life gate that all may go in. O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood. To every believer, the promise of God. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Great things he hath taught us. Great things he hath done. And great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he hath done. Fanny Crosby, though blind, could see better than many. Church family, 
who do people say that I am, is an important question. But the greatest and most important question you will ever be asked is, who do you say that Jesus is? My hope and prayer is that today you would say that Jesus is the Christ, which is to mean he's the deliverer, the one who forgives you for your sins, and that your hope would be in him, and that you could say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord for all that he has done. Let's pray, church. Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. No beginning and no end. True God, true God, truly man, truly man. Our Savior, our Redeemer. Oh, how we love you. To you be the glory, great things you have done. Lord, today, this morning, God, I pray that you would give sight to the blind. Lord, for any who walked in today not seeing, smudges on their contacts, smudge on their glasses, Lord, bring their sight into focus, we pray and we plead. That they would be like the friends who begged you, who humbled themselves before you, knowing that you would never turn away a humbled soul, Lord. And they would say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me for all I've done wrong because, God, I want to be a part of your family. I want to be forgiven. I want to be an adopted son and daughter of God. I want to live for eternity knowing I'm yours, God. And Lord, may that be the prayer of some today. Lord, for those who are part of your family already, oh, Lord, awaken their faith. God, Freshen their resolve to declare you as the Christ. That because they can see, then they can lead people to you. That we wouldn't let our fears and our past and our inadequacies and our not knowing what to say stop us from leading blind people to the one who gives vision to the blind. So Lord, awaken us as a church. Lord, this is the mission you've called us on, God. One day there won't be breath in these lungs. But so long as there is, God, may we pour out our praise and declare your glory to our community, to our coworkers, to our friends, our family, our classmates, God, and let us not hold back, O oh Lord. Oh, awaken us, my Father. We pray for the glory of the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, we want to see that happen here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand up. Prayer team, would you come on forward and go out to the back of the room as well? Man, if God's clarifying your vision today, let our, let our prayer team pray with you. We'd love that. We just, we just want to pray with you to see whatever questions you might have to bring you before the Lord. Maybe God's impressing someone on your heart and you're just aching for them because you know they're blind and it's just killing you. And you're just, you're broken and you want to have the courage and you don't know where to muster it from. Man, let us pray with you. So we can say, hey, we're going to pray that God would help you grab that hand and lead them to Jesus. As God's spirit works in your heart today, don't resist them. Respond today. Respond. Solidify that conviction by coming forward for prayer to the back for prayer. And let us be those who lead the blind 
to the one who gives sight. So you want to lift up your song, church? Are you ready to lift up your praise to this God? And we're going to do that now as we sing.